Good morning. It's good to be here today. It's, uh, it's a privilege. It's, I'm, I'm humbled to be here. And uh, home stretch? Yeah. Like, who's really hungry for the finish line? Raise your hand. Yeah, hang in there. You're almost there. I'm proud of you. And this is, I feel privileged to come at this time of the year as well. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Uh, I asked Alan Lee if Friday chapel's rowdy. And he's like, that's not how I would describe it, but, but let's get a little rowdy this morning. Let me begin with a story real quick about what happened to uh, an experience I had with my family back in November, late November. It was the middle of the night, about 2.30 in the morning, when out of a dead sleep, my wife wakes up, Stephanie. And uh, she wakes up and she abruptly gets me up. She's like, Mark, that's all she said. And I'm up. Like there was something about the tone of her voice and the urgency in her voice. And so we, we, we didn't even say anything else beyond that. She's like, Mark, and, I, and you knew it was palpable. Something was wrong. And, and, and probably an instinct, you, you know, it, it's just like you, I, I immediately kind of flew into action. And I ran down the hall, ran past the living room into the kitchen, and where what was waiting for me was this eerie orange glow emulating from the back, the backyard out of the window. Now, in emergencies, and I don't know if you've ever been through an emergency, but the human brain pro- processes information in two ways. The first is that thought and reason can go to this one place of your brain. It's the back of your brain. It's called the basement. How many of you have ever heard this Okay, so part of, your, part of your thought process can go to the back of the brain, and they call that the basement. Now, the basement, the basement is basically the deer in the headlights kind of processing. It's inflexible. It results in poor decision-making. And as I, you know, as my brain is racing through and taking in this information, I can hear the conversation happening in the basement with myself. And the conversation was, somebody's having a campfire yay you know and and that (laughs) basement is a bad place to go thankfully my brain went to the balcony the balcony is uh the prefrontal cortex it's located in the front of your brain and when it processes information in an emergency you take in the information globally, effectively, and you respond with flexibility, and you may, there's reasoning there in, a, in an emergency. So there's the basement and the balcony. And my thoughts, by the grace of the Lord, went to the balcony. Without thinking, I am armed with our single fire extinguisher. I'm out the back door, and I am encounter and I have to face this the wall of our house is on like roaring in fire. The, the, the deck that I'm standing on is on fire. And uh, let me put this into perspective for you because it was the first time I've ever experienced something like this. The average burn time of a home, does anybody know what it is? Seven minutes. And that reason why is because, you know, we wrap our house in gasoline, (laughs) siding, insulation, you know, glues, emulsifiers, all those things are made out of petroleum. And so the average time today, it used to be 20 minutes years ago. So if you live in an older home, you've got a little bit of time there. Um, Newer homes, seven minutes, you know, fire to complete uh, destruction of the home. 
And, and again, as I said, you know, I give the credit to the Lord that the wisdom that he gave me, you know, I'm thinking, I only got one shot with this fire extinguisher. And, uh, and so I concentrated it at the top of the fire instead of at the bottom of the fire. And, uh, and, the, and, the, and that proved to be probably a game-changing moment. We were minutes, if not seconds, away from that fire heading into the attic of the house and catching the shingles and everything else on, 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 and losing the whole thing. It is surreal to be part of something. It's surreal to be on the edge of losing everything. Stephanie, calmly, she's awesome. She mobilized the kids on the inside. She mobilized the fire department, got them there, and they arrived in about six minutes to truly save the day, you know. And uh, the fire chief is a friend of mine, uh, and he's a fellow believer. His name's Blair in Nuwijewak. Give a shout-out to Nuwijewak. That's where I live. And... Um, Blair's a great guy. I, I uh, remember not too long ago being at the hospital on a farming accident that uh, his, him and his wife were a bit part of. And, uh, you know, that she was facing being paralyzed and a whole range of things. And so Blair and I had shared some experiences together. And he said to me, he, and, and no embellishment at all, he's like, Mark, he's like, like we both just kind of, after it was all kind of said and done, we both kind of would just worship there for a minute. You know, worship the Lord. And he said to me, he's like, Mark, like, you, we never... Like, we never come to external house fires like this in the middle of the night and not seeing the house cave in, but more importantly, we pull bodies out. If any of the variables in that moment had been different that night, again, this is 2.30 in the morning, you're just sleeping. No smoke, nothing like that because it's on the outside of the house. If any of the variables had been different, you know, losing the house would have been the least of our worries. And since then, you know, we've been in the slow process of repair. You know, it's cost us time. It's cost us money. It's cost us energy. And uh, now you might be asking, well, what, what caused the fire? I mean, this is, that, that's a cr- critical question, right? And it wasn't my cigarettes. I was not out smoking uh, on the deck. I've been prone to do that from time to time. Uh, no, but actually, uh, it was a misplaced ash bucket set down too close to the house in the rush of life. Get home, kids, family, homework, dishes, cleaning, bedtime, prayers. Turns out that the barometric pressure of the evening, the temperature conditions, the proximity were perfect for it to overheat and hence cause the fire. It was a moment of neglect. We were neglectful. Careless. Neglect means to leave unattended. It means to be in remiss of care, to fail through thoughtlessness, to not listen or to pay attention. Critical things in life can tragically be affected or destroyed through neglect. Wholesome things, good things, things we never set out to harm or even imagine harming or damaging or destroying. Nobody sets out to, do, to, neg- to hurt something they love or value. Nobody does. I don't know anybody who does. Yet, neglect has its toll. It takes its toll. 
And you may have been victims of some of these things. For example, neglect takes its toll on marriages, right? Most marriages, in my experience in pastoring, most marriages just don't crash and burn. You know, most marriages usually suffer from a slow erosion, right? It's unmet needs. It's usually a breakdown of communication. There is less love. There's less forgiveness. There's less, less selflessness in the marriage. The neglect has consequences later to the marriage. Neglect takes its toll on families, right? We're buying, driving, texting, shopping, eating, watching, playing, and scheduling, and scheduling, and going. And we're a family, but we're not really together. We're not really present. But we're doing lots of stuff. Neglect has its toll on our finances. No vision, emotional spending, impulsiveness, and entitlement results in the borrower becoming a slave to the what? To the lender. Neglect takes its toll on our bodies. No plan. No regular physical activity, a cupcake here, a donut there, and all of a sudden your skinny little hipster jeans just don't work anymore, right? You're looking for that sweet blend between cotton and spandex. <laughs> so true. You wait till you turn 40. Um, Proverbs 24, it's interesting, paints a vivid picture of neglect. Picture this in your mind. There's this vineyard. Now, when I hear vineyard, I like, like beautiful. There's a couple of vineyards on PEI up on the, on, the, on the west side. It's gorgeous. But there's this, this vineyard that uh, is being written about, and there's no walls. The fences are broken. The grounds become overgrown. Weeds, thorns, thistles. And there's no fruit on the vine. And let's bring this up. Proverbs 24. Check this out. This is kind of the epiphany. I took a long look and pondered what I saw. The fields preached me a sermon and I listened. A nap here, a nap there. A day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. Daily neglect costs us nothing. It's subtle. It's totally invisible. A nap here, a nap there, and who doesn't love naps? But you know what happens next, right? And that neglect leads to a day when, it, you know, the consequences, the the reaping, you know, it just comes up and I mean, it punches you right in the face, right? Bam, something great is lost. Now this month, I understand you're, you're, you're uh, kicking this month off on a series on, on soteriology. And uh, soteria is salvation. And, and what a great subject, amen? Salvation, what a great subject word. Let's, let's say that word together. Salvation. I mean, who'd reject that word? Honestly, let me save you. 
Is that not the most positive word you could, you could ever hear somebody shout out to you? Let me help you. Let me save you. What a great word. What a great gift. Not through works, not through status, not, to, not through privilege, but free. Like not world free, but God given free. Through grace, by faith. What a great gift. What a great reality when you think about salvation, soteria. You and I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The death penalty. We have been completely, totally forgiven for the punishment that you and I deserve. We've been made new. We've been made holy. We're made heirs of salvation. We're set free. We're set free from condemnation. We're set free from shame and guilt and fear. We are set free and saved from the power of sin. Set free from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from sin's very presence. So I mean, it's like the, the past and the present and the future all happening through salvation. And what a great reality. What a great word. What a great gift. What a great reality. What a great plan. And this month, this Easter, you know, we will once again reflect and trace the plan. We will go to follow Jesus to Calvary. We will go to the tomb. We will witness the resurrection, you know, and, and, and experience Pentecost, right? What a great plan. What a great invitation. God loves the world, and he offers salvation to everyone. Indiscriminate of who you are, where you live, what you've done. It's a great invitation. It's great in its power. Power to forgive, power to heal, power to help, power to transform, power to overcome, power to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. And salvation is great in its price. It costs Jesus everything. And salvation will cost you everything once you accept it. Salvation is the greatest moment it is the greatest gift that you'll ever receive now hebrews 1 uh, as we referenced here earlier speaks to believers a lot about salvation chapter 1 is a beautiful and powerful summary it's a declaration about jesus there's nothing in it for us to do there's no commands in chapter 1 it's just this it's just like hey pay attention Behold, behold, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the final word. He's the final word about everything. Everything of God, everything about God is fully expressed in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the creator, we're told. Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the owner. Jesus is the ruler. He is the redeemer. Jesus is the final word. He is the author of salvation. Hebrews, let's bring it up there. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's spoken. Do you hear him today? 
Do you hear him? Chapter one is this incredible exposition that sets the stage for a critical command in chapter two. It just immediately flows into that and it poses urgent questions for you and I each day, this day. This is, let's read it together. Uh, Next verse there, uh, if you can. Therefore, based on everything you've just heard, we must give the more, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. How shall we escape if we, would, if we neglect so great a salvation? Let me ask you this morning, are you giving more earnest heed to the things that you've heard? Are you paying close attention today? Are you drifting? Are you in danger of neglecting so great a salvation. Let me ask you, uh, how many of you like Survivor? Oh, I'm so glad there's a couple of hands raised because uh, I was discussing Survivor recently with some people who shall remain, remain anonymous, <clears throat> interns, <clears throat> and uh, they implied to me that only old people still watch Survivor. Is that true? Is that true? I mean, sure, uh, you know what, I confess, I like to wear slippers. Uh, Sure, that if there was a heating pad in this front row plugged in, I would use it. The idea of an all-you-can-eat tapioca buffet does sound like a dream come true. Do those things and liking Survivor make a person old? Yes. Yes. In your face. Well, anyway, this geezer is going on the record here at KU today. I love Survivor. I watched all 600 seasons. I started actually with Mike McNeil. First show, baby. I'm keeping it strong. Survivor alive. Come on over and let's have some tapioca, buddy. We'll have some soft food. It'd be great. We can soak our teeth. It'd be awesome, man. Yeah. We eat some bran. If there's something, I, like, so I love the show, and, uh, but if there's something I hate about the show, the one thing that bugs me about the show is this, is when somebody finds the hidden immunity idol, they find the game changer, and they get careless with it. They don't play it. They don't play it well. They don't play it at all. And then you have to watch this idiot do the walk of shame out of the game with immunity. There's nothing worse. It's a total face slap. It kills me to watch it. But salvation, if you really think about it, salvation is, is, the, is the precious immunity, isn't it? And Hebrews warns us, don't neglect it. You, can't, you can take salvation for granted. You can become easily careless. You and I are in daily danger of drifting from Jesus, the final word of God. We just are. 
I'm from PEI and proud. Uh, every summer, my parents and I would pack this old beat-up blue Coleman cooler, and we'd, we'd totally dash to the beach for the day. And we'd go to the same beach year after year. We would go where Anne swam. Uh, uh, it'd be Dalve by the sea, right? And it was an awesome beach. And so many great memories there. And uh, but this one day, and this stuck in my, it still is, is just, it just, it's just there as a memory. One day we went, and I just immediately, immediately ran out to the water to play for the afternoon. And, um, and some time had passed, so I'm out there splashing, having fun. And I look back, I remember looking back at the beach and just kind of line my sight with uh, my family or our towels and whatnot. And my parents aren't anywhere. Like, I realize I'm not even at the same beach anymore. Like, I'm like in Cavendish. <laughs> I can see Rainbow Valley from where I am. R.I.P. Rainbow Valley. But that one day... The, like the current took me away, completely moved me. I was, I was, there was no noise, there was no friction, there was no dramatic sense of danger. I just gently, unassumingly drifted from my anchor. And my anchor was my family. Year after year, the same beach. And then one day, the current changed, and I was vulnerable. And life is full of currents. It's filled with currents. Relationships have currents. Ministry is whitewater. Man, there's strainers, there's sweepers, there's holes and pillows and undercuts and sieves. Our culture, it is a fast current. It's a river, isn't it? It's a raging river, and there's endless channels, channels that can steer you away from Jesus. Busyness, and these are found in, in, in ministry as well, busyness, busyness, success, failure, power, pride, control, self. And honestly, if we're really being honest, how many of us love fast-moving water? We're lured to the extreme water. Woo! Right? But yet some currents, there's, so there's fast stuff, and, but some currents hide below the surface. And, and those currents are the real killers. They're the ones you don't see. Currents of anger, resentment, hurt, envy, Addiction, good things, knowledge. Some water is comfortable. It's beautiful and it's calm. It's clear. And we just drift down the lazy river. Right? Anybody been on a lazy river? Yeah, and then we're all like, yeah, totally love the lazy river, right? <laughs> and churches can be lazy rivers. Environments like this can be lazy rivers. You know, you just lock arms with your peers, your buddies, and float along. Go with the flow. You have to pay attention. Otherwise, you, you, you'll neglect. 
And once you start neglecting, we're told you can drift. And Jesus is always referencing this sort of thing. You know, when, he's, when, when he told the people, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. You know, he is distinguishing himself from a shepherd, and a different shepherd. He's the good one. There's obviously other herders. And they're trying to herd the sheep that are prone to wander, right? They're herding them into, on, onto the kill floor, right? Mutton. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he's totally acknowledging, man, there's tons of paths. You know, but they'll lead to death. My path, it leads to life. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And the implications are, is, are that there are untrue vines. He's the true one, but there are untrue vines, and you can totally attach from this one and attach to an untrue one. It is easy to stop abiding. And, but that's our main job. That is your main job. It's totally your job. Staying connected, being present with Christ. And there's tons of consequences when we neglect abiding. You stop bearing fruit. You know, you begin to, your spirit begins to wither. Your faith begins to wither. Your love begins to wither. And you can get burned. But most importantly, I mean, when you cut yourself off from Christ, when you neglect that, when you're careless with that, when you take that for granted, man, you lose life. You lose perspective, you lose, you begin to forfeit privileges and you pass on promises and the salvation, the, the precious immunity that, you're, that you've been given. You're just not using it and you're wasting it. So here's, here's some dashboard stuff today. And, and these are just some questions. If you, if, you're, if you have a pen and paper, I mean, yay, yes, no, maybe. I need to spend time with that. But here's some dashboard stuff. How can I know if I'm becoming negligent or drifting? Let me ask you, what is the loudest voice in your life right now? What's the loudest voice? And what are they saying to you? Where does your mind drift? How's your obedience are there things that you know you are not heeding, hearing and heeding? Are you more or less grateful these days? Do you feel entitled? Are you growing in your sense of awe and wonder? Or do you feel like you have it all locked down? You got it all figured out. What's your joy level these days? Am I growing in love of others? Am I growing in faith? Do you sense the reality of heaven and hell? Is preaching predictable? Is the table dull? Am I autonomous? Or am I interdependent with other believers? Is Jesus still my first love? Am I abiding? Just a moment, we're going to close. Um, 25 minutes uh, is, a, is a, I'm, a, I'm a talker. Um, but in just a moment, we're going to close with uh, Come Thou Fount. And uh, the composer, I don't know if you, how many, 
like researching the, the, the back end of hymns. Some of you are into that. I, like, this blows my mind. Maybe you know this or have heard it, but Robert Robinson wrote that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, right? And he had a totally, like, rough background, rough childhood. He was fatherless, he was drifting, and he fell in with the wrong crowd. One day, he's harassing, get this, I'm not making this up. He's harassing a gypsy woman that they got drunk because they're trying to get some free fortunes. This is a hymn writer. And when, and when he did that, his heart was pricked that day. I wonder why. Robinson heard that George Whitfield was in town, so he suggested to his buddies, I want to go to this, but I don't really want them to really know why, I want to, why I'm interested in this. So he suggests, why don't we go heckle George Whitfield as a cover? And he goes, and Whitfield, like, rocks the, this guy's world, right? The Holy Spirit just blows this guy apart. And for three years, Robinson lived in the dread of his sin from that sermon. At the age of 20, he made peace with God. He eventually reconciled the conviction he came to know Jesus, and he became a Methodist preacher. Two years later, in 1757, he wrote the words, To come thou found every blessing. Come thou found every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me the melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount. I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. But there's this interesting last stanza that he threw in there. And you've heard it. I know you have. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And prone to wander became true for Robinson after he wrote that song. In fact, he drifted yet again in his life. This is unverifiable, but the story has it that one day, many years of drifting, one Sunday, the despondent Robinson ended up sharing a stagecoach, a taxi on a Sunday. And there's this woman going to church, and she's sitting there humming the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. She's humming it. And she asked him, like, do you know this song? It's awesome. It's, on t- it's just heard on the radio. It's top 40. It's awesome. Just got the CD. It's brilliant. All right? Just downloaded it. Sorry. That's my age date, date myself there. Do you know it? Robinson apparently said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I'd give a thousand words, a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. The woman pondered it, thought about that statement and how far Robinson clearly had drifted from the heart of that song. And she understood. And she said this, but you also wrote, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too 
late. What a great Savior. What a great salvation. If, you, if you, lately you've been neglectful, if your heart has cooled, if your convictions aren't quite as convictional, if your standards are slipping, if your attention and affection has drifted, offer your heart again to God. It's not too late, amen? Abide. The worship team's gonna come. Why don't we sing this together? Amen? Amen.